0: Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one near you. And I was telling, yes, yesterday we had a wonderful men's breakfast. I was telling the men uh, I was giving them a personal opinion and recommendation, but it's not it's not an ignorant uh, recommendation. Whenever you can, as much as you can, read your Bible on paper, not on your phone. I do both every day. I'm serious. The screen affects you in a different way. If you're reading on a smartphone, you've been conditioned on a brain level to expect text messages, social media posts, phone calls, and all kinds of things. If you're finding that it's harder for you to understand the Bible and to read in general, try paper, okay? And today you're going to need a paper Bible because I'm going to make some connections through 1 Peter. If you're new to our church, we've been in 1 Peter, and now Peter is going to make, you're going to see, as soon as we start reading his letter again, you're going to see a decisive turn as he urges his readers to do something. And people have a very poor, we are poor judges, we human beings often, of what is actually urgent. Urgent. Have you ever waited too long to do something and discover that basically that opportunity was lost, you were going to come up short, you were going to hurt somebody's feelings, embarrass yourself in some way because you just didn't understand that you didn't have as much time as you thought? For me, that was the entirety of junior high school. <laughs> I went from sloth-like behavior to hair on fire for three years of middle school and never really got the clue until, actually now that I think about it, pretty late in high school, that I just needed to be a better judge of how time was going by, how hard things would prove to be, and how much time I would actually need to do them. Here in America, we're the kind of country that sometimes people call 911 because their fast food order was not correct. It's true. Don't look it up now, but you can find all those stories. You can even find video because, of course, some concerned citizen films the whole debacle. I said a double cheeseburger. They gave me a single hamburger, and I'm very upset. I need, I need the finest and the best of this city to come in uniforms with guns and dogs, and maybe, maybe, maybe SWAT to rectify the the injustice that is being done at this particular Burger King. People either have a misplaced sense of urgency or actually find themselves in a great deal of danger and life actually has become urgent and they don't know it. As a young teenager, we had a mission team where I grew up in Mexico where our visiting teenaged American guests did not know it, but they had wandered off, contrary to all instructions, into a neighborhood that was very much controlled by a local gang and that the circle of young men that was forming around them was not coming to say hello. (laughs) Bad things were about to happen, and I had a decision to make to watch the spectacle or to do the right thing and be courageous and try to get them out of it. I walked in, put my arm around the tallest of the boys, whispered to him in English, we got to go, and we got to go right now. And they decided to let us live. That's why I'm standing here in front of you today. <laughs> Sometimes you have mercy on people just because they're so obviously ignorant. You, you let them go because it's not really their fault that they're that stupid. That's what happened <laughs> on that particular afternoon on that particular neighborhood in Chihuahua, Mexico. Peter's going to now urge his readers to do something. He spent nearly half the letter. If you look in your Bible, and this is another advantage of paper, you can see the flow of the whole Bible. It only has five chapters. He spent one and a half telling them who they are. Peter's now moving from telling us who we are to tell us what we should do. I'm in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you. That's the hinge. And the first word is really really important. He calls them beloved. They are beloved to him and more importantly they are beloved to God. That's been the burden of everything he's written up to this point. If you look just a few verses above you in verse 9, he said to these beloved people, "You are a chosen rea- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his God's own possession." That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are dearly loved, you are chosen by God. You are beloved by God. Once you did not belong to Him, but now you do. That's why he starts his urgent call to them with the word beloved. We're moving now in the letter. The rest of the letter is going to be dedicated to telling beloved Christian people, beloved by God, how we're supposed to live. Peter's moving from telling us who we are in Christ, what He has made us, what this celebration that we've just gone through of communion signifies that the Son of God died for people who weren't looking for him. That people chose to live the way they chose to live, breaking all of God's laws, violating their own consciences, destroying their own relationships. Moving from shame to guilt in a regular cycle of life, along with all the joy and all the happiness that God by His mercy provided, they were rescued All of that out of all of that. Same as you, by God's love, that's who you are. You are, again, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God to have. You, were one, you weren't always His people, but now you are. And all of that status, all of that identity, all of that privilege, all of that blessing most definitely comes with responsibilities. Because of who Christ has made you, you have to behave a certain way. You are beloved. That's the foundation of it. I want to be really clear before I move quickly through these two very simple verses to make sure that you are not hearing the religious idea that you have to earn God's love. You can't. We've just been singing to and about a holy God. If God is holy, flawless, perfect in purity, absolutely and only righteous, if God knows all things at all times, including the motivations of your heart, What could you possibly do to measure up to a God like that? There's two ways to heaven. You can be as perfect as God is and stand beside Him as His equal, or He can forgive you. And the first road's out. (laughs) Nobody's going to make it. Nobody's going to make it. The people who think they're going to make it are making the horrible, fatal, dangerous to their soul mistake of comparing themselves not with God and His standards and His character, but only with other people. You let me pick the crowd, I can always come out on top. These second graders here at Liberty Christian on the playground, not very good. (laughs) Much stronger, much more athletic than most of the second graders that attend this school. There's this one kid that's got me worried. I think he might be coming for my, for my title on the basketball court. You let me pick the level of competition, same as you. You can always comfort yourself that you're doing pretty well. Peter is telling people, you are beloved, you are, have been scattered by persecution, you are possibly actually have been displaced by your faith and love for Jesus in the first century, I have good news for you, God loves you, you are beloved, but beloved, I urge you, I have a mission for you, I have a call to action for you, beloved, I urge you Here's two words we seldom use. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Let's read the Bible with understanding. What in the world is a sojourner? A sojourner is what I was in Mexico. A temporary resident. I tell people, and it confuses them that I, I feel brown on the inside a lot, because <laughs> I was so young when we went to my parents, went to mexico as missionaries i don 't remember not knowing Spanish. I can flip a switch culturally and just see the world from a whole other angle, speak a whole other language i don 't remember learning Spanish. It's as native to me as English is. In fact, I was the weird kid who named Bruce Garner looking like this. Imagine how confusing I was to my classmates when I moved back to the United States in second grade. I excitedly told them, look guys, baloney. (laughs) Oscar Mayer was a very big deal to me because we didn't have it in Mexico. (laughs) And I would race from table to table showing them What my mom had packed, and they said, yeah, you know, good. We're super happy for you, bud. Uh, I sat alone uh, often there in the beginning of my second grade year until they had an understanding of who I was and where I'd come from, why I acted the way I did, why I was so enormously grateful and excited for things they took for granted their whole lives. Peter is saying to these gentlemen, Mostly Gentile Christians, you are beloved by God, and I'm going to urge you as temporary residents and exiles, people who are not living in your true home. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to, this is not a very popular verse coming up, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What I'm going to teach you now has always been in the Bible, but it's underread, undertaught, underbelieved, and discounted because we live in a strange time where we have believed a contemporary half truth, which is this that we want to be known what we're for and not what we're against. Have you heard that? I've heard that. I believe that. I resonate deeply with it. Because not my parents, but my culture coming into Bible college was profoundly legalistic and angry about almost everything and primarily took a Christian stance of what it was against. We're against this, we're against that, we're against them. And what was positive, what we loved, what we enjoyed, that was hardly ever mentioned. The whole life, the whole culture was built on a stance of against. Is this familiar to some of you? Now, the overcorrection is we only want to be known by what we're for. And the biblical truth is godliness is defined by both. You can't be godly. You can't be like Jesus unless you're very clear what you're against and what you're for. You can't truly be a good person unless you have some hard boundaries of what you're against. If you're indifferent to lying, you're not like Christ. If abuse and injustice makes you shrug, you're not like your Lord and Savior. If you don't hate sin and what it does to people, you're not like Jesus. He was always for the right things and always against the right things. And now Peter is calling his readers to imitate him. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from, what's it say? The passions of the flesh, my translation say, which wage war against your soul. What are we supposed to do? We beloved people, we who belong to God, we who... Had Jesus come, live, die, rise for us again, what are we supposed to do? We are to keep away from our fleshly passions. We are to avoid them. We are to abstain from them. What does he mean by that? Garner translation, Garner explanation A life lived for Jesus is one that is avoiding giving in to impulsive, sinful, and the self-centered desires of your spirit and your body. You avoid those things like the plague. This runs right through his letter. Look in chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, what's it say? Ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put away those things. You used to be people with malicious hearts you used to deal with deceit you used to be hypocritical you used to envy others you used to slander people you didn't like peter says be done with all that look in chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 please told you you'd need your bible <laughs> we'll drop into the middle of verse 2 live You are now to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's your crossroads. Do you see it? Peter says you have the physical human capacity to keep on living as you once did, you can keep indulging yourself. You can engage in the sins of the body and the sins of the spirit. In other words, malice, envy, hypocrisy. There's nothing outward that is visible to say that is an envious person. That person's a gossip and a slanderer. They always think the worst of other people and spread stories. Christians do this through prayer requests. We really need to pray for Bill. I'm very concerned. Why? What's going on with Bill? Well, I saw him in the parking lot and he was speaking rather harshly to his wife. And you know, poor sweet thing. She's so patient with him. I'm concerned he might be drinking again. (laughs) You think I'm making that up? You could come with somebody's permission to sit in my office and listen to me talk to people from time to time. There's malice. There's slander. There may be envy there all kinds of terrible things sins of the spirit but that's not all you are now to live for the live for the rest of the time in the flesh verse 2 chapter 4 verse 2 no longer for human passions but for the will of god for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The translation of that verse irritated me a little bit. I think they took the strength out of Peter's words in verse 3. What he's saying is enough of that already. You lived godless, uncontrolled lives before you came to Christ. The past is in the past, leave it there. You are now to avoid, you are now to abstain from fleshly passions. So, to make this extremely personal for you, can I just ask you, to sit quietly for just a few seconds and to consider the things in your life that are not yet conformed to the character of Jesus? What's the worst of you? Are you gossip? You have a hard time controlling your eyes, men? Your eyes rove and undress? Women? If we examine your browser history, would you be happy to have the Lord sit beside you and look over it with you? If we could examine your whole schedule, all your communications, would you gather the people you most love and respect and admire and have them sit and see what your life actually is? I didn't come to church for a guilt trip. There's no guilt trip here. Peter's first word was, beloved, I love you. You already belong to God. You're already a chosen race. You are already those bought at the price of the life of Jesus. He's the cornerstone under your life. He was rejected. That was last Sunday. He was rejected by the people who most should have expected and welcomed him but you have put him as the cornerstone under your life. You're safe now. You're not only forgiven, you're loved. So, Peter says, act like it. Be done with the sin, be done with the self-indulgence, be done with the selfishness, be done with the impulsiveness of the past. And he gives you here two very important reasons to do it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now it's getting intense. What Peter's telling you is that you have urgent reasons to avoid the passions of your old life. Well, number one, you won't be here very long. The world is not your home, and it did not give you your identity. You're just a traveler. You're on your way home. You're a pilgrim. You won't be here for long. And very importantly, the sinful desires that still battle within you can destroy you in the short time that you're here. Look very carefully at verse 11. Peter said, The passions of the flesh Wage war against your soul. The malice, the slander, the envy, the hypocrisy, the debauchery, the drunkenness, the wild parties of the past, all of those things that still call you, Peter says they are like soldiers sent against you. We're getting reacquainted through the news with the reality of war, and it's awful. The only people who have the privilege of espousing pacifism are those who are not at war. Pacifism sounds like a spectacular way to live until they start bombing your house. And please make no mistake, what Peter is saying in verse 11 is, there's a war on and the war is against your soul." The world, the flesh, the devil, the desires of your eyes, the desires of the flesh, the brokenness of this world system, it's all set against you. It's coming for you. It will not relent and it will not stop until Jesus conquers it altogether. And if you've been living like you're in peacetime, guess what? You're already losing. The most dangerous enemy is the one that you don't know is stalking you since my older son became a soldier all these analogies in the Bible jump out at me with fresh intensity and they're no less real they're just invisible because they're spiritual Satan hates what Christ purchased with his blood he hates you he's the slanderer he's the accuser he's the hypocrite He's the malicious one. He's the liar. He's the instigator of debauchery. He's the instigator of parties that are so fun in the moment and are filled with such regret when they're over. By the way, parents, never tell your children that sin isn't fun. It is. Otherwise, people wouldn't pursue it. Tell them it's not worth it. Tell them it doesn't last long. Tell them it doesn't satisfy. Tell them it has a way of, enchan- of chaining you up and enslaving you in a way that you did not expect so that you end up doing the very things that you hate. Tell them that you can dedicate your life to getting the thrill you once did but now you find no thrill in it. You only pursue it so you won't be miserable. All of that is at stake. That's why Peter said in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He has more to say. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. This is very different. This is a second instruction. Number two, Peter says, first of all, keep away from your old fleshly passions, but also keep on doing good works. There's a negative and there's a positive here. The negative is have nothing to do. Realize that you're at war. The things that you once indulged, the things that Jesus saved you from will still be attractive to you. Stay away from them abstain from all of those things. But it's not a hermit-like existence. It's not a controlled and holy life by abstaining from society and from culture altogether. It's not go sit on a mountain in a white robe and sing songs that nobody knows and talk only to yourself hoping that Jesus will come snatch you off that hilltop. No. The war you're in, you're called to right now. And it's not negative. It's not abstention only. It's very positive. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your what? Your good deeds. And when they see your good deeds, they glorify God on the day of visitation, meaning when God comes in judgment, they praise Him. In other words, you keep doing good works Garner explanation, that means that a Christian life is not only one that avoids sin, it's also a life that embraces virtue, that embraces goodness, that embraces service to other people. Look in chapter 1 verse 15 again, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Look in chapter 2 verse 15, you want a word that is as timely as Twitter? Twitter? Look in chapter 2, verse 15. This is the will of God that by doing, what? Good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor. In other words, there's a positive lifestyle that is dedicated to good works. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling and reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing." For, and Peter quotes his Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do what? Good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Does that sound like a lot of work to you? It is. Look in chapter 4 now, finally. Verse 19 You say, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm on the anvil over here, and you're talking about dedicating yourself to good deeds. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator, what's it say? While While doing good. In other words, if the will of God has brought you into a great deal of trouble and you're suffering for it, keep doing good works while you're in the middle of all that trouble. That's how people are going to see that God really is your Father. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that we're not saved by good works, but we are most definitely saved for good works. And pastors who love the gospel, including the one that's talking to you, have been so reluctant to talk about good works in church because we're afraid that we'll confuse people and we'll give in to the religious idea that is the religious idea that covers the whole world under hundreds of different names and all kinds of religions and spiritual experiences and programs and people just doing the best they can. We're afraid if we talk about good works, people will misunderstand and think that they can be good enough for God. You can't. Only Jesus can save you. Only his goodness, his virtue, his righteousness is enough to save you. But he brings you into God's family, and God calls you his beloved daughter, his beloved son. You belong to him now. You are chosen and holy. You are beloved. And God says to you now, with the life that you have left, kid, you're not home. Jesus went ahead to prepare a home for us, he said, so that where he he is there, we may be also. We're not home at all. We're only here for a short time. We're actually in a very fleeting temporary war zone where the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to destroy every good thing that God has ever done. And what Jesus tells us to do in the meantime is to dedicate ourselves to the same kinds of good works he did so that people will see us in this wrecked stained hopeless world and see someone in something so different that they would have no choice but to see that it couldn't possibly be us it must be our father who is in heaven i know that's all true because i'm quoting jesus well i'm paraphrasing jesus let's quote him now matthew 5 verse 16 peter knew jesus closely he was one of his closest intimate circle of three disciples All that Peter's doing is paraphrasing and repeating what Jesus told him. This is what Jesus told us to do. Read this with me, please. Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you want the glory for yourself, you're way off. But if you've given up on doing good works... You're way off too. The purpose of our good works is for other people to glorify God. What kind of people are we supposed to be? Those who pull back from sin. When we stumble into our old ways and our old patterns, we immediately recognize this is not my life. This is not where I belong anymore. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I know that you love me. I know that you are my father. I know that your son died for me. I know that your Holy Spirit gave me new life. I'm back. I've got my mind right. I'm not going to easily indulge in that thing again. Instead, I'm going to dedicate myself to good works so that in this messed up world, other people can see you. Listen, you're a Christian in the 21st century in the United States. You already are or you soon will be criticized. The biblical answer, according to Jesus, is not to fight back with the same weapons and the same words. But to bear that criticism and that suffering, if it comes to that according to the will of God, to bear it with the patience and the love of Christ Himself, to keep entrusting ourselves to God while we keep doing good works, so that finally evil will relent, not by being talked down or legislated away, but that evil will relent by seeing the glory of God, repenting of sin the way you once did, and turning to God and glorifying your Father with you. Some of you are Christians in just that way. There was a time you wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but you met a real Christian. And they were so different and so kind and so loving and so patient and so good to you for such a long time that the love of Christ shown through their life melted your heart and brought you into the fold. Now you go be the same kind of person. Let's pray. Lord, send us out as a people who love you. And because we love you, people who hate sin, hate falling into it, hate asking you forgiveness again and again for the same things, but so grateful that you're in your mercy, you will always listen, you will always forgive, you will always restore us to peace with you because we're already beloved. Don't let anyone here hear this call to action from Peter as a religious checklist to earn your favor. Rather, let us be the kind of people who rest in your favor, in your love, in your acceptance, in your mercy for us, who can be so confident, so self-assured, not in ourselves but in you, that we just go out and live good lives so that people can see our good works and not give us credit, but actually turn to you and are saved, Lord, because they first saw our good deeds before they heard from our lips the good news. Listen, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to invite you today to trust him. Please stop putting him off. Take a moment to pray and ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you give up. Tell him you're turning yourself in. You're going to start following him. With the faith you have, with the repentance God's granted you in your heart, turn to Jesus and be saved this morning. That's my plea. I'm not the slightest bit ashamed to beg you in the name of Christ to be saved. And if you're already a Christian, get out there and show it. You don't have long. Cut off the things that keep making gains and entryways into your life. Avoid them. Dedicate yourself instead to the good works that God has given you only a brief time to do. Other people will praise him because they saw and heard the good news from you. If you don't know Christ, I want you to pray right now and ask him to be your savior. I'm going to ask you as well to fill out the card that's in your bulletin and let us know that you've done that. And Christian, if God has been calling you to good works, and you've been putting him off. You've been putting off serving, giving, reaching, loving, helping. Get started. Get started. Lord Jesus, we love you. Give us grace to live as these kinds of people, knowing how loved we are. Help us get busy being the kind of people you've made us. In Christ's name I pray and Crosspoint said, amen. If you need prayer, there's two wonderful people, Russ and Denise Murdoch, are waiting for you over there. They love to listen to people and pray for them. If you need prayer this morning, please stop by and pray with them. I'll look forward to seeing you on the porch. God bless you.